everyone. I pray that you all had a glorious and wonderful um, Thanksgiving. I hope you all enjoyed um, your time of fellowship and also that you, um, you know, <laughs> enjoyed your meals and um, especially the desserts because we had some desserts at our place that I'd never even heard of before. So I hope you all enjoyed that. Um, also, I pray that you also really did not forget the key of Thanksgiving. Like even through difficult and hard times, we should always be thankful. We should always be thankful to the Lord for what he has given us, for what he has done. You know, um, it, you know, so I pray that we ultimately did not forget that as well. You know, so, um, I'm just really excited today. Like the Lord has just been on complete download mode. It's actually, um, quite amazing. Um, but yes, we're going to continue with, um, second Samuel and I'm going to start at second Samuel chapter 11. There's something that the Lord wants me, um, to explain to you all. But before I even, you know, really dive in before I get too deep, um, let us pray. And I hope you guys are ready. I hope you guys are excited. I hope you are hungry for the word of God today. Amen. So, um, let us pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, right now I come before you and I give you the highest praise, which is hallelujah. And I pray right now, Lord, that you will allow me to decrease so that you may increase. I pray, Lord, that you will anoint my lips of clay, that I may be an oracle of God. Let nothing I say be of earthly wisdom, be of everything of heaven and the spirit. And I pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, my friend, that you will just be loosed right now into this place, that you will touch the people's hearts and minds to believe and receive this word. Make my words fire and your people would and let them be consumed by it, Lord. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you will be loosed, that you will just have your way. And I decree and declare right now in the name of Jesus that the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. And I pray, Lord, that you will just have your way from start to finish. Whatever you want to say, let it be said, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I do pray. While the presence of the Holy Spirit and my prayer partners in agreement said with me, amen, amen, and amen. All right. So I started looking into Second Samuel and I started to wonder with the Lord, because if you were here last week, you will know that I have to separate Second Samuel into three parts. So I said, okay, now it's time for part two. I said, Lord, what exactly do you want me to do? I have no clue what you want me to talk about for part two. And this is the word that the Lord gave me. He says, Simba, you have been showing a little bit where you've been showing a lot of where I am and where the Holy Spirit is. That is your charge. But he said, Simba, for the second part of Second Samuel, I want you to tell my people something of the enemy. See, it's one thing for you to know the ways and the things of God. It's another thing that you also must know the ways and things of your enemy. Y'all not talking to me. When you are in spiritual warfare, when you are in battle, see, I'm talking to some of my people who have military backgrounds or have family with military background. They will tell you before you even go and face the enemy, you have a what? A briefing. You sit down and you know the ins and outs of your enemies. This is where the enemy likes to attack. This is where the enemy likes to go. This is um, when you go here, the enemy's going to do this. This is what you are to do when the enemy does this. Well, guess what? God is the same way. God does not just expect you to learn his ways or his way of thinking. He also expects you to learn the flesh's way of thinking and to know Satan's way of thinking. Because the enemy is always going to try to use your flesh to get to you. To be a blockage um, for you to grow in the spirit or to have a real communion or relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so you will see in Second Samuel that this is how the flesh operates. This is how Satan operates. But you will also see, I'm going to show you a little bit also where God is in the midst of everything. Where he's in control of everything. Amen. Hallelujah. So it's not like, oh, I'm handed over. You know, there's a trial or tribulation where Satan is just going buck wild. 
or I feel lost or I'm making mistakes after mistakes. I'm rebellious. I'm doing this. I'm disobedient, whatever it does that, you know, it doesn't matter. If you come back to the father, all things can be restored. God is, God is always a forgiving God, but there's one thing you will always have to understand. He is a God of righteousness and of judgment. He is, and the judgment is not condemnation. Judgment is more like correction. He is a God of righteousness and he is a God of judgment. So even though he will forgive you for your sins, he may not remove the consequences of the actions. Y'all not talking to me. So as soon as you ask God for forgiveness, a lot of times, yes, I've seen God when he forgave me, he even removed the consequences. And I said, thank you, Lord. And I, and I was on the, you know, I, I went on the straight and narrow. Okay. But then there were times where I asked for forgiveness. He said, I forgive you, but the punishment for this thing is still on you. It's still loosed on you. And let me tell you something. I, I I tell you the truth. There is nothing worse than when God allows punishment to come at you. Okay. I'm just going to be real with you. See, a lot of times, and thank you, Holy Spirit. I feel like a lot of people think, well, God is punishing me because I did this. I'm like, no, that's actually not true. God is allowing the consequence of that choice to come at you because he is a God of judgment. You chose to ignore his law, you chose to ignore what he said. And so when you go off and do what he said not to do, you have to deal with the consequences of what he said, what happened if you disobeyed him or if you went against him. He gave you the law to protect you, not to harm you. Write that down. The law is to protect you, not to harm you. He is a judge because he is to protect you, not to harm you, not to be a killjoy. Is everyone with me so far? So you have to go get the big Bible. Okay. Let me see. Everybody hearing me? We, we good? Let me see. I got a couple of church mouses in here today. Need to wake some people up. Holy Spirit, wake some people up for me. <laughs> Glory to God. All right. So we're here. Second Samuel chapter 11. Oh, some of you should know this story quite well, but I'm going to show you um, how Satan operates. See, you, see, the thing is, you don't have to worry about Satan coming at you on your rise. That's not when Satan comes and gets you. See, spiritual warfare, thank you, Holy Spirit. Spiritual warfare is to help you from rising. But once you rise, now you got to deal with pride and satanic warfare because his thing is to bring you down. He don't get you when you rise it. See, he'll he'll let his cronies, he'll let the demonic come after you to stop you from rising. But once you finish rising and overcoming, this is where he likes to strike is when you're good. Everything is good. Everything you do and everything right. God is showing himself strong in your life. Now he's got to what bring you down. You see that? That's why the scripture says pride cometh before what? Destruction. Pride cometh before the fall. Are, are, are you seeing that here? That's why the scripture says that. See, the fall does not come when you rise it. See, see, Satan will back off and but he'll send, you know, deterrence. He'll send, you know, roadmap, roadblocks and, and demonic spirits to keep you from rising. But what happens after you rise above it? Now. You have to stay what? In humility and meekness. You have to stay in the way that got you up there in the first place. See, what happens is he Satan makes you feel like you reached something, but then you don't realize that he's actually setting you up for your fall. That's why the Bible says, take heed or take note of where you are, lest ye fall. So that means know where you are, otherwise you might take a fall. You see that? So here, David is at the top. He's king now. He he's he he and he's a you know he's a good king. You know, like like he got a good. You know, his enemies don't really want to mess with him. But look at this, Second Samuel chapter eleven. Are you there? And it came to pass after the year was expired, 
at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. So so he chilling. That's what that means. He's sending out his troops to go and fight and win. He don't need to go out there and fight. He going to stay back and he going to tell them what to do. You see that? That's a little bit of warfare. So he said at the time of battle. So it's a time of warfare. It's a time of strife. It's a time for advancement. You seeing that here. Now chapter 2. Or verse 2. And it came to pass in the evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Uh oh. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David, and said, I am with child. And David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. So let me stop right there, okay? So let's go over what Satan's doing here. So look at this. David is chilling. You know, his army's fighting this battle. He wakes up. Life is good. Life is good. You know, like, you know, what's that quote? He was, you know, from that movie, I forget, but I forget the movie, but he's like, it's good to be the king. Like, that's really what he was. He's like, it's good to be king. He wakes up, he goes, he walks on his roof and he sees a woman Taking a bath. Now, mind you, I don't know if this was a cultural thing. I, I don't know why the baths are at the roof of the house. See, me personally, I would put it in the backyard somewhere, maybe with some curtains or, you know, at least a fence, you know, something. Um, <laughs> But anyway, I'm not an ancient architect. So anyway, she's uh, um he's on the roof and he sees her bathing, you know, and he looks at her and he goes, Ooh, does she look nice? And so he he sends one of his servants after her, like kind of like who is she? Yeah, you know, like like who is she? And the thing is, that's amazing. Here we see Satan's first attack. This is called the lust of the eyes. See, first Satan will direct your eyes to something. First he'll he he deceives by what you look at. See, look, uh, he's been doing this since the dawn of time. If you don't believe me, go back all the way to the beginning with Adam and Eve. And it says, and Eve looked upon the fruit. Y'all not talking to me. So he's look. So it always starts with the eyes. That's why the scripture says we walk by faith, not by sight, because your sight will deceive you. Satan will always use sight to deceive you. He'll always make it look bad. God can say one thing. God says, I promise you victory. I promise you the best. I promise you your whole family is going to be saved. And then you look at the situation and you look at your family and your family is still a bunch of heathens. (laughs) You still going through the same mess you've been going through. Come on now, y'all not talking to me. The situation doesn't look right. That's Satan. Lust of the eyes. He always deceived by the eyes. Okay? So here's the first thing. He looked at her. Now David should have looked away. He should have went and did something else. But he could not stop looking at her. Because then, after he was looking at her... He desired her lust of the flesh. Satan will always do this. Lust of the eyes. Lust of the flesh. Now he's desiring her. He's inquiring about her because he desires her. He wants to know 
who she is. She He wants to know what this is. Come on now. Y'all know what I'm talking about. She, even back with Adam and Eve, first he got her to look at it, lust of the eyes. And then lust of the flesh, she desired it, what? Because she was hungry. Now, if I was in the garden, I would say, Eve, you can eat anything you want in here. Why you got to touch this fruit? You ain't that hungry. I've been like, girl, go, go somewhere else. Come on. <laughs> Let's get away from this serpent. But you think, but you see, we don't think with logic when we're, when, 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 when you're playing as Satan's playground. That's what I call it. When you're in Satan's playground, he will always do this. Lust of the eyes. Lust of the flesh. Desiring her or desiring that thing. You're like, what is this? What is this? I didn't see that. What, what is that? What does that look like? You don't need to see what it is. Look away. No, 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 no. I, I, I want to know what this is. Come on now. You know, I'm going I'm to do a shout out to, and I'm saying this only because um, one of my fellow classmates is here. Shout out to our fifth grade teacher, Mr. Cross, because Mr. Cross used a perfect analogy to describe this. Y'all remember that movie Finding Nemo where they go to the bottom, where they go to the um, very dark place, the very dark part of the ocean, and they see that light. They see they see that light and they're hypnotized by the light. They like the light. They're drawn in by the light. And then when they see the source of the light, that fish with all the teeth and looking to eat them, that's the way sin is. That's the way Satan does it. Less of the eyes. Less of the flesh. He makes them feel good. He makes them desire. But then look at here. Now we see the final nail in the coffin of Satan's strategy. The pride of life. Pride of life. Keyword, pride. You see that? Because why does Satan have to get David? Why does he have to get us into the pride of life in order to destroy us? Why does he have to get us into lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and then the pride of life. Why is the pride of life the final one? It is because Satan knows the scriptures better than you do. He says, the Lord said it himself. He will resist or oppose the proud. Any form of pride in your life, God is against. So pride of life Now, when you enter into the pride of life, now God is opposition to you. Now God is opposed to you. Now he resists you. And guess what? If you resist God, you resist the things of God. Oh, y'all not talking to me. If you resist God, you resist the things of God too. That means you resist his goodness. You resist his mercy. Now you're in opposition. The pride of life. Less of the eyes, less of the fresh pride of life. But what does God say he does? He gives grace to what? The humble. He gives supernatural help to the humble. But to the proud, he opposes. You see what I mean? Satan has been doing this. And y'all probably wonder, why does Satan keep doing this? Because we as morons keep falling into the same trap. Less of the eyes, less of the flesh, pride of life. If you learn this, you learn the basics of how Satan does his warfare. Or at least the first part, okay? Less of the eyes, less of the flesh, pride of life. Okay? Is everyone with me so far? But some of you are probably wondering, well, why is, how is David in the pride of life? Looky here. And David sent messengers and took her. He's the king. Who's going to oppose him? Who's going to come against him? He's the king. He can do whatever he wants. He can have all his servants killed if he wanted. He can have all his servants 
saved and plenteous if he wanted to. You see what I'm talking about? And David sent messengers and took her and she came in unto him and he lay with her. So he's he's top dog. He thinks he can take even someone's wife for his pleasure. Because it doesn't say he, 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 he went in and, and married the girl and said, I want to marry you. I want I, I want you to come in here and be my queen. No, it, it was, you know, I hate to use this term. It was a it was basically a one night stand. If you want me to put it, the word of God says that, not me. It was for his pleasure. It was for his benefit. It was to make him, you know, feel good or what he wanted, what he desired. Now, mind you, David had wives at this time. In key word, I said wives, not wife. But that's a different time. This was someone else's wife. Let me tell you something. Satan will always have you. This is another way of his. Steal, kill, destroy. Steal, kill, destroy. He will always follow that nature. David took or stole someone else's wife. Kill. Oh, we about to go. We 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 about to go into the killing stage. Uh, Who I'm getting ahead of myself. Are y'all learning something? Are y'all with me? Are you are you receiving this right now? Okay, glory to God. So looky here. Um, I left off at seven. There we go. Seven. Second Samuel chapter eleven verse seven. Look at this. And when Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did and how the people did and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, go down to thy house and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and went not down to his house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down unto his house. David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst thou not go down into thine house? And Uriah said unto David, The ark in Israel and Judah abide in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into mine house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As thou livest, and as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. And David said to Uriah, Tarry here today also, and tomorrow I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and tomorrow. Wow. This is a stand-up guy. Uriah is a man of honor. He is a man of integrity. This is a good man. This man basically said, I am not going to go home when my men are out fighting, when, 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 when none of my people get to go home. They don't get to go see their wives. They're standing out there on the front lines ready to fight. Guess what? I will do the same thing. But why was David so adamant on trying to get the man to stay, to go with his wife? Because he was hoping that if he goes home to his wife and sleeps with her, If she says now that, you know, she's pregnant or whatever, then it's Uriah's kid more so than it's David's. But we all know that's not how it works. So David is once again trying to do what? Cover his tracks. He's trying to cover his tracks. You see how deep now David is in sin? Now he's lying. Now he's lying. Now he's trying to hide. Guess what? The Bible says you must stand before the Lord in spirit and in truth. God has never changed that. So now this brother is so far gone, he can't even be in truth because if he tells the truth, he he in trouble. His perception, the people's perception of him changes. Pride of life again. He likes the way people view him. He likes the way people think about him. 
He doesn't want to look a certain way. He doesn't want to have a bad image. Y'all hearing this here. So now the pride of life, now he's deep in the pride of life. But now he's now in so deep. You see how this started just from the lust of the eyes? <laughs> Look at how deep you may be in sin. Go back to the root. It was probably because you first started with the lust of the eyes. Then the lust of the flesh came in. By the time you enter the pride of life, you are already in a hole. You see how quick that was? You see how quick David is now in this huge mess? It started from just being looking at the girl to then he's sleeping with her. Then she gets pregnant. Now he's got to cover his tracks. Hmm. An abomination to the Lord is what? A proud look and a what? A lying tongue. You see that? So now he's lying. (laughs) You see how David is now so far gone from the man that was after God's own heart. He's now taking on the enemy's nature. The Bible says that the enemy cannot tell the truth. The truth is not in him. He is a liar and the father of all lies. Uh Uh-oh. And what does God is an abomination to God? A lying tongue. That means God takes offense to a lying tongue. He hates a lying tongue. You see that? So here it is. We see David lying. We see David manipulating. We see David, you know, all this. For what? He looked at a girl. And as soon as he looked at her, Satan said, now I got him. Let's just keep doing this until he's so far gone from God. There is nothing. Are you hearing this here? That's the way Satan operates. That's the way Satan thinks. Some of you are like, well, man, I keep trying to do this right, but I always mess up. Start with the eyes. What you looking at? What you looking at? I'll even take it as far back to what TV shows are you watching? Are you watching things that are glorifying and magnifying God in your spirit? Are you watching things that glorify and magnify the things of the world? Uh, Let me get off of that. I'm just going to say it. Let me just make that plain. If you want to live a sanctified life, then you have to keep your eyes from unsanctified things. Write that down. That was good. I don't even know where that came from. (laughs) If you want to have a sanctified life, keep your eyes from unsanctified things. Amen. Hallelujah. So where was I? All right. So look at here. So David basically says, okay, since you're not going to go home, why don't you stay here? Why don't you drink? Why don't you eat? Why don't you have, you know, some rest here? Again, now we see another satanic nature. Now we see another satanic nature. Why don't you relax? Why don't you enjoy yourself while secretly he's planning for the man's destruction? Enjoy the world. Enjoy the things of the world. Go ahead. It's not going to hurt you. It's not going to bother you. Relax. Go ahead. Don't worry about that. It's okay. And the entire time. Now, I wonder how I can destroy him. I wonder how I can destroy her. I'm telling you, look out for Satan and his agents. Write that down. Look for Satan and his agent. It might not be Satan himself that's doing it. Satan might be using someone near you or close to you to do the work for him. Oh, let me get off of that right now. See. These Lord, they're not ready for this. They're not they're they're not ready for this. They're not they're, 
they're not ready for this. I'm sorry. Hopefully I didn't get too deep there. Here we go. 13. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. And that even he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but went not down to his house. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. Hold on now. Now David gives instructions to go where the battle is the most heated, most competitive. Send Uriah out there. And then when he's about to run, like thinking that he's got a unit with him, retreat and leave Uriah by himself to die. Whoo, that's wicked. That is very wicked. That is Satan's nature to a T. Satan is a betrayer. He is a traitor. So now you see David is is being a traitor to his own men. Even the most faithful ones. Y'all not talking to me. Why? Well, look at the order, people. Steal, kill, destroy. It doesn't matter what you stole. It doesn't matter what you're stealing. Any nature that involves stealing or taking for something that does not belong to you, you are one step closer to killing. It is always Satan's nature. Now, you may not kill physically, but you can also kill with your mouth by what you say. You can kill someone's reputation. You can kill someone's desire. You can kill someone. Y'all not talking to me. There's more than one way to commit murder in God's eyes. See, what I'm teaching you now is how God sees things, how God thinks. You think you just said something in retaliation. God says you have no idea that you just committed murder. Why? Because what you said, you don't know the reper repercussion the ah repercussions of what you said. You don't know the ripple effects of what you said. You can take someone's dreams, aspiration, you can take someone's motivation. You can take someone's desire. That's the problem with with a lot of people in the church. The people don't know that a lot of people in the church, you've committed a lot of murder. There's a lot of blood on your hands. You destroyed people's dreams. You destroyed people's hopes because of what? Your stupid gossiping mouths. Because you didn't know how to keep your mouth shut. Because you wanted to take something, you wanted to steal, that led to you killing, and that eventually led to you destroying. Now, wonder God said, now, wonder Jesus said himself, you look like your father, the devil. You do not look anything like my father. For if you knew my father, you, if you knew the ways and the things of my father, you would have never said the things of what you said. The Lord, I can feel him saying right now, the church has to repent for the blood that it has shed with my pe- with the people. That's what I feel the Lord is saying right now. As a clergyman myself, I repent on behalf of the body of Christ for any blood that has been shed to my people here, to anyone who is listening, to anyone who has an offense with God or with the church or anything in between. I personally apologize as a clergyman, as a man of God, as a man who loves the Lord with all his heart and loves his people. I say I am sorry for the blood that has been spilt, for the dreams that have been crushed, for the offense that's been given. 
Will you please accept the apology on behalf of the clergyman? I'll say it if no other clergyman will say it, I will say it. You see that? That's Satan's nature. Anytime where they're stealing, killing immediately follows. That's why whenever someone breaks into someone's house, when someone breaks into someone's house, even if the person is not a murderer, the person is not even a killer, but always to cover up what they've done, there's always what? A murder in the house. There's always a murder. You see that? Steal, kill, destroy. It's a vicious cycle. So if I were you, I would tell whatever family members or whoever you know that that got sticky fingers. They're known to steal. Or they're known to steal other people's opportunity or whatever. You tell them they're one step closer to, to, to kill it. You in the devil's playground. Once you start in the devil's playground, it's hard to get out. It is not an easy place to get out of. I'm telling you the truth. Because the truth is, Satan does such a good job of, as soon as you're in his trap, he mind blinds you. So as soon as you're in the trap, he mind blinds you. So you have no idea where to go. You have no idea. That's why as soon as people are in sin, the first thing that they say is, I don't know where to go. I don't know how to get out. I'm stuck. I don't. Why? Because Satan blinded you. He mind blinded you. As soon as you set foot into the trap, he takes you so far gone, you don't even know where you are. You don't even know how you ended up in the place where you ended up. And mind blind, I was like, what? What's mind blinding? The God of this world blindeth the minds of those who do not believe. You see that? That's the scripture. He mind blinds. Blindeth the what? Mind. You don't even remember how you got there. Think about it. The last sin you ever committed. Do you even remember how you committed that sin? Do you even remember what, how, how did it even start? Or let's go all the way back to your deepest, lowest, and darkest point. Do you have any idea how you even got there in the first place? Do you even remember what led to it, what, what led to the spiral? I guarantee you it led because you looked at something you had no business looking at. See, when you learn the patterns, when you learn the things. See, the Bible says God is the same yesterday, today and forever. Guess what? Satan can't create nothing. So if God is the same yesterday, today and forever, that means he always has to do the opposite things of God. He always has to react because he's always behind, not Ahead, he's the tail, not the head. So then, if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that means Satan has to do the same thing yesterday, today, and forever. Y'all not talking to me. Teach, Brother Simba, teach. Who caught that? Holy Spirit, please give them revelation. I hope they didn't miss that. I'll say it one more time for the people who who probably didn't catch all of it. But I'll say it again. The Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means he's never changing. But Satan is not a creator. He's not that creative, okay? He's a copycat. He's always behind God. He's never ahead of God. He's the tail. He is not the head. He is always under the... Under God's feet. So what he's always doing. He's always reacting. To what God is doing. So if God is the same yesterday. Today and forever. If Satan is following him. To try to keep up with him. That means Satan has to do the same thing. Yesterday. Today and forever. You got one of the biggest things. To destroy Satan's operation. In your life. You know that he attacks lust of the eyes. Lust of the flesh. Pride of life, and he's always looking what? To steal, kill, and destroy. You just learned one of the biggest strategies of satanic warfare. You're welcome.
you led to you learned one of the biggest things of how to stop and catch Satan in his tracks. As soon as you're looking at something that you know you have no business looking, you look away, you automatically stop Satan's next operation. Oh, come on, somebody. When you're content with the things that you have, that, that you know that the Lord will provide all your needs. You ain't got to steal from nobody. You ain't got to steal from nothing or nobody. Then guess what? You can't kill or destroy them later. Oh, y'all not talking to me. See, this is some good word. I don't know. Everybody acting like church mouses today. I don't, I don't know what to do here. I don't know if they're receiving this or not. Glory to God. <laughs> so here we see David trying to cover his tracks. He sets up Uriah to die. Why? Because he's a traitor now. Because anytime you take on Satan's nature, you will you will look like Satan. He became a traitor. And Uriah dies. And then you know what David had the goal to do? I ain't going to read that part. But you know what David had the goal to do? Then he took Bathsheba. He took her before, but then as soon as Uriah dies, he takes her. And he takes that child. Let me tell you something. And this is why I love God. See, now you're going to start to see God's nature. Before you always get too deep, God always sends a messenger to you to bring you back to him. See, a lot of times people think Jesus has to has to give us the road of Damascus experience to win us back. No. He just needs somebody willing to step in this place. Y'all not talking to me. Because I'm going to prove it to you. Second Samuel chapter 12. Look at this. And the Lord. Oh. What does that say? Do you see that? 2 Samuel chapter 12 verse 1. Do you see that? What does it say? And the Lord sent Nathan unto David. Who sent him? The Lord sent him. Even though David is a traitor, he's a liar, a deceiver, Backbiter, betrayer. He slept with another man's wife and is raising their child in his household or trying to. Look. God sees all of it. And he says, I'm going to send a prophet. I'm going to send someone to get David out. Oh, glory to God. Y'all not talking to me. I'm going to send someone to get him out. Maybe God is saying to one of you, I'm trying to send one of you out. You can be the Nathan to someone's David. If you will just say yes. See, this lines up with my message, the Ministry of Reconciliation. If you got a chance to listen to that. If you didn't, I recommend you do. Amen, hallelujah. Do you see that? And the Lord sent Nathan. So God is not just sitting there and letting this play out. The Lord sent Nathan unto David. And he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up. And it grew up together with him and with his children. And it did eat of his own meat and drink of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man. And he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. 
And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. Now, hold on now. So God sends Nathan. He gives Nathan a word for David. Nathan is a prophet. So he goes to, so he goes to David on behalf of the Lord. And he speaks to him. And he gives him a story, a scenario. Of a rich man basically stealing from a poor man. And David gets so angry and outraged. Because he was like, how? What? That is so evil. That is so wrong. Look at this. Was greatly kindled against a man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, the man that had done this thing shall surely die. So he basically said, this man who has done this horrible, evil thing. He, he, he's going to die. David was so angry because David was going to order the kill. Now, let me ask you something. Why does Nathan go to David as a king? Well, let me give you a revelation. Are you ready for this? Let me see who's listening. Who's, who's ready for this? Who, who's ready for a revelation? Okay, here we go. The Bible says that by his blood, he hath made us kings and priests unto God. Yes. But why did he have to go to a king in order to make this right? Doesn't the prophetic give us that authority? No, it does not. See, the prophetic allows us to say the things of God, allows us to be God's mouthpiece. But in order to be a king... The the true call of a king is to take what's wrong and make it right. Do you see that? Nathan could not correct this on his own just because he was a prophet. He had to go to the king because the king was the one who could make it right. So when God says, I have made you kings and priests, when Jesus gave you exousia, power of the government made you a king by his blood. That means he expects you to take what's wrong and make it right. Take the words of a prophet, take the words of the apostles, take the words of God that is where where things are wrong and make it right. Use your authority to make things right. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is where? In heaven. Why? Because you are a king in God's empire on the earth. You have jurisdiction. What you speak, what you bind is bound. What you loose is loose. What you allow is allowed. What you disallowed is disallowed. That means if you want a revival to hit your neighborhood, then you better start decreeing, declaring, praying, and saying a revival will hit my neighborhood in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. If you want a revival to hit the nation, you better take that authority and say, I decree and declare in the name of Jesus that this nation will be turned back to God. I'm going to take everything that is wrong and I'm going to make it right in the name of Jesus for he has given me the authority to do so because I am a king in his empire. Yes, oh yes. Hallelujah. The prophet goes to the king because only the king can make it right. The prophet has power, yes. But that doesn't mean he always has the authority. The king has the authority. That's why the kingly anointing is greater than the prophetic anointing. Y'all not talking to me. See, not all of you are prophets. But all of you are kings. By the blood of Jesus Christ. So that means you have more authority and power than even a prophet does in God's eyes. It's just that the prophet has a jurisdiction in the church. But if you are a king, the kingly anointing trumps the priestly anointing all the time. 
your priestly anointing. See, demons don't care if you're a prophet. And I say that personally because I am one. Demons don't care if you're an apostle. But what they care is if you're a king. Because only a king can say something that and make something wrong right. Isn't that what Jesus did? The people said, who is this? He speaks as one with authority that even the demons obey him. They never seen that before. They said he speaks as one with authority. What were they saying? He speaks as a king. He speaks as someone who is royalty, who is a king. But not only does he speaks as a king, he gets the reaction of a king that even the demons obey him. You see? Oh, glory to God. Let me move on. So he says, that man shall surely die. And look at this. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan, this is the key right here. And Nathan said to David, thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. I anointed thee king over Israel and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom. And gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And it that had been too little. I will moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord. To do evil in his sight. Thou hast killed Uriah the, the Hittite with a sword. And hast taken his wife to be thy wife. And hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house and I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor. And he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of the son. For thou didst secretly but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. Do you see that? God is basically saying, see what you did, you did on the low, low. I'm going to do when I punish you, when I make this, it's going to be known in front of everybody. Everybody's going to know about this. See, I don't know about you. That's a little disheartening for me. Where God brings everything into the light. Can you imagine a punishment like that? Where the stuff that you did on the low, low, he brings to such manifesting, he literally takes everything right in front of you, in front of everyone. Y'all hearing this here. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, the Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. You see that? But look at what God said. God said that the sword will never leave the house of David. That means that there will always be betrayal. There will be murder. And you will find this out later. David's own son, Absalom, tries to kill David. His own son tries to kill David because he wants to be king. But David says Solomon is going to be the next king. But Absalom does everything he can to become king. He even... I hate to say this, you know, but it's in the Bible. He rapes his own sister. And there's such a hatred and despise that the brother, his other brother tries to kill him. You see that? So there's always violence in David's house. That's what the Lord said. The sword will never leave your house. See, he forgave David because David stood in front of everybody. He didn't hide this. He repented in front of everybody. He didn't deny it. He didn't say, Nathan, you crazy. You don't know this. He recognized what God was doing. 
He knew God's way enough. He knew that Nathan was a proven prophet. He repented before the Lord and everyone and said, Lord, I am sorry. He said, I've only sinned against God and God alone. That's that was his biggest thing because God was his biggest relationship. He didn't say I sinned against Uriah. I sinned against Bathsheba. I sinned against Israel. He said, I only sinned against God because God is my first love. Y'all not talking to me. I've seen preachers or pastors when they screw up, they apologize to the church. They apologize to people. They get to God eventually, but they don't say I apologize to God and God alone for God was my first love. I betrayed God because if I did not betray God, I would not have betrayed all of you. Y'all not talking to me. So you see God forgave David because it said Nathan says, You're not going to die, David, because he repented. You see that? He repented and he was sorry. Look at this. I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, the Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. So that means God has forgiven you. However, look at this. How be it? Because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme the child that is born unto thee shall surely die. So now God says, because of your sin, David, that child that you have with Bathsheba is now going to die. And if you read that later, the child does die. And David is so heartbroken because he knows. Let me tell you why he's so heartbroken. Because he knows that is God's abomination. He knows God does. God did not want to take. But look at what he said. He said, you have given the enemy room. You see that? He says the enemy. Yes. Does it say that? Come on now. Read it. Does it say the enemy? It doesn't say God is going to kill the child. It says you allowed the enemy into this. And I'm going to allow the enemy to do this. Why? Because it was your choice. You opened this. You have allowed now the enemy to come against you. Now he is going to do what he does. He's going to steal. He's going to kill. He's going to destroy. And he's going to take that child of yours. And that's exactly what happened. And it hurt David so much because he knew God did not want that to happen. That could have all been avoided if you go all the way back, if he would have kept his eyes off of Bathsheba. So now let me ask you, does all that sound worth it? Just because he couldn't look away from a girl who was taking a bath, that he had to go through all this. And deal with the punishments of God for that. <laughs> That's so much so that the sin is now in his household. There will be betrayals. There will be murder. There will be all this other stuff. Lord have mercy. I love the boy. I love it. Sorry about that. I just want to make sure people are hearing this. So everyone understand that. When you don't know the ways of the enemy, he will always set you up for destruction. He will always do it. He's been a thief. He's been a killer since the dawn of time. He betrayed God in his own throne room. Come on now. And David, if you read the story later on in 2 Samuel, you will see there's betrayal in the house. There's murder. There's the sword never leaves David's house. You reap what you sow. Good and bad. You will always reap what you sow. It doesn't change God's nature. In fact, we should thank God. That he says what you reap is what you sow. Because if you reap in good things, the things that matter, then you will have what? A bountiful harvest. But what happens when you sow negative things? When you sow things that 
go against God's nature and God's heart, well, then you reap those benefits too. In fact, I'm going to share with you one more revelation and then I'm done. Did you know that the reason why Satan has to be so hard on his kingdom is because his people are rebellious? Even people in own Satan's own kingdom, they're rebellious. Why? Because he reaps rebellion. He sowed rebellion a long time ago. Now he has to deal with that harvest. That's why the same demonic spirits, they don't like each other. They'll betray one another. They'll backbite on each other. That's why I always pray, Lord, send confusion in the enemy's camp. Why? Because it's easy. <laughs> they already hate each other. Just add a little confusion in there so that they'll turn on each other. You see that? The enemies of God, if you read in the Bible, a lot of times the enemies of God ended up destroying themselves. It wasn't always the people of God who destroyed them. It was always they would turn on each other. You see that? Why? Because Satan sowed that. He always reaps it. He always reaps rebellion, betrayal. He always reaps it. In fact, thank you, Holy Spirit. Because of that, that's how even the greatest witch and warlocks can become saved. <laughs> even the greatest witch and warlock can come to know Jesus Christ as their savior. Because why? They can betray Satan. They can turn on Satan. They can reject Satan and go with God. Why? Because if Satan can turn on God and go the other way. God has made it so. Well, guess what, Satan? They can turn on you and come back to me. <laughs> Glory to God. I hope you caught that. Did you catch that? Oh, so go ahead. Steal from the enemy. Take from him and stop letting him always take from you. Because God gave you the victory through his son, Jesus Christ. Are you hearing this? Are you receiving this? And guess what? You might be the only person God sends and says, well, even though there are issues in your family, issue in your family's household, maybe you have gossipers, betrayers, backbiters, maybe you have them. But guess what? You might be the person God says, you are going to be the one I use to turn all this around for me. Because I tell you the truth, God wants to see your family saved. God wants to see your children saved. God wants to see you all know who he is. He loves family in heaven. I can feel the Lord is saying this. He loves seeing families in heaven. Even though they're all part of one big family, he loves seeing families come together in heaven. And so that's what we should be striving for. That's what we should be fighting for. I hope you all learned something. I thank you, Lord, for that word. And I pray you'll tune in next week where we go into the final part of 2 Samuel. We're almost done. Yay us, <laughs> you know, with 2 Samuel. So I hope you enjoyed the series thus far. And... And, I, and again, invite people, invite your friends, invite people who, who ain't got nothing to do in the morning and they just need the word of God. Invite them. We're fine with that, Amen. you know, Amen. and we truly want to see the kingdom of God come. Um, and I, I'm going to work on more. Some of you know this. I'm going to work on more the group, the Facebook group um, that I started um, for Agias. Um, you know, it's a private group, but it's public where you can still find it, but it's private as in, I need to allow people to come in. And that is where I'll be doing a lot of Bible study. That's where personally the Lord told me, 
somebody you're going to handle that personally like so that's where i share revelations and stuff like that when i get it fully up and running i i started it but i need to do more with it so um yeah so there's that but let me just you know pray for you all you know you all have just been so wonderful i'm so happy to see you all and um and again like always after you want to hang out with us feel feel free and you know let's just have a wonderful and blessed day amen so let us pray lord heavenly father i thank you so much for this word i thank you so much for your people i thank you so much for their hunger and desire for the for the word of god i thank you for their faithfulness i thank you lord for just um just having your way in this bible study lord i thank you so much for the revelation that you've shared with us about the enemy and about how he operates so that we can know our enemy and so that we can know what he's doing even before he does it lord thank you so much for showing us in your word how the enemy operates but also showing us that if we just stay faithful to you if we trust in you you will always provide a way to get us out you will always provide a solution you will always provide um an answer for whatever it is that we're going through you will always call us out of darkness into your marvelous light thank you wonderful jesus and so lord i pray for a bountiful harvest of souls for this ministry i pray lord that every dollar that is spent in this ministry that it will be used to win a soul thank you wonderful master i pray lord that the teachings will get deeper more intense that the glory will continue to flow and manifest i pray lord that lord that you will continue to condition us to use us in any way that you see fit for your kingdom glory and for its purpose I pray right now, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you will start to give people kingdom assignments, their king, their kingdom assignments, their kingly assignments, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you will use them mightily this day and moving forward in the ministry of reconciliation. Holy Spirit, fall on them afresh, fall on them anew. And Lord, I pray, Lord, continue to touch and move in their hearts as only you can do. Lord, we love you, we adore you, thank you, and praise you. It's in Jesus' name I do pray, while the present cover of the Holy Spirit. For thine is the kingdom, power, and glory forever and ever. And my prayer partners in agreement said with me, because they believe it, said, Amen, amen, and amen. May the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of the Father, and communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Take care and be blessed. Amen.